granddaughter of Ron and Linda over here. And she came forward second service to, uh, to give her life to Jesus. And she made the great confession of faith here on the stage. And then yesterday morning, we came to the church and, and Matt baptized Ada. And that's awesome, right? We praise God for that. Morning, Liz. Uh, she, she got baptized. But also tonight, man, we're going to baptize two of our teenagers. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Garth, if you don't know, Garth and Sarissa Watts, uh, and, and they're, they're two teenagers, they're twins, and I am not going to try to say their names because I will jack it up, okay? So uh, I got to practice today uh, when I go home from church, <laughs> their names over and over. All right. So anyway, this has been a great weekend. I'm just telling you, man, I, I'll take that every single time, right? Right? All right. Well, welcome to Chester Christian Church this morning. We're so glad you're here. I am, I am pumped, and we are continuing in our series. And last week, we kicked that off, and the title of that series is Every Story Whispers His Name. And our goal throughout this series is simply to show you that from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, there is one central theme, and that is God rescuing mankind uh, from their sins. From cover to cover, one central character. It's not me, it's not you, but it's Jesus. Jesus is who we sang about this morning. The Bible is Christ-centered. That's why our purpose here at Chester Christian Church is, uh, opens up with our purpose is to make much of Jesus, right? Make much of Jesus. It's about him. Now, now a lot of people, when they come to the Bible, they view the Bible that uh, there's a list of rules telling people what you should do or shouldn't do. And they view God as this kind of taskmaster who kind of looks down on people uh, and if you, if you mess up, then he's got this scowl on his face, and he's looking down and, and waiting to just to punish you. And yes, the Bible certainly does have rules in it, and they show us how life works best. That's the way God set it up. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing, but it's about Jesus and what he has done for you. Others think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing people, you know, these, these awesome stories about David killing Goliath and, and Moses and, and, and the wilderness and all these different things and telling us about people that we should imitate and people that we should follow. And yes, the Bible certainly has some, some cool people in it with cool stories, uh, but those people really aren't heroes at all, are they? Because they're just as messed up as we are. There's one hero in this story, and his name is Jesus. And so... There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are pointing to one, one person and one thing. And it's the story of how God loves his children, and he comes to rescue them from their sins. And that's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That's, 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 that's the good news of the gospel. That's what we proclaim here at Chester Christian Church. That's what we're going to preach week in and week out. Uh, there's not going to be a week that goes by that you're not going to hear uh, the gospel. All right? And so that, that's what we're about. And that's our desire for you, uh, is to know that. And so today, we're because listen, the gospel is what's going to change, right? The gospel is what's going to change. And so that's our desire for you. And, and so we're taking a look today, going back to the Old Testament, uh, very first book of the Bible called Genesis. Genesis means the book of beginnings. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Genesis. We're going to dig in here. And we're going to be looking at uh, chapters 6 through 8. And I'm only going to read just kind of a short portion of this narrative, but it's the narrative of the flood, Noah and the flood, Noah and the flood. And the story is really about how God used faithful Noah to rescue his family from the flood. But, but what I want to show you this morning is how this story ultimately uh, points to an even bigger plan, right? a, a greater rescuer. And his name is Jesus, and I want to show you how this, this story 
whispers Jesus' name. All right, you guys ready? All right. Let's read Genesis chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read down through 13. Jesus, uh, Genesis 6, 5 through 13. And then I'm going to jump to chapter 7 and read two verses, 17 and 18. All right, so you guys ready? All right, let's, let's do it. I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, English Standard Version. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Last week we talked about walking with God. Noah was one of those people who walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Chapter 7, verses 17 through 18. The rain, the flood, has, the rain has started to kind of pour down, and it says the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that we can just come together um, like this publicly to just be able to proclaim your word, God, to be able to worship you freely. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. And I just pray now that as we uh, break open this, this word, God, and as we uh, look through this passage, that we would just, um, man, that we would just allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, God. We would allow these words, uh, God, as you speak, to just penetrate us. And Father, that we... Um, Man, we just clear our minds and our thoughts of anything else that's going on. God, we would just focus on you and how beautiful Jesus is and the hope that we have in him. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in the sixth grade, my gym teacher was Mr. Cook. All right? Mr. Cook was a tall, thin man who wore glasses, and he had those white tube socks that he wore all the way up to his knees, right? You know what I'm talking about? He looked like somebody straight out of Napoleon Dynamite, okay? Straight out of Napoleon Dynamite. He was one of those teachers that always had the same facial expression. Like, Mr. Cook always had the same facial expression, and he always seemed like he was ready to give students the business, right? He's just a kind of straight face, straight-laced kind of guy, just always ready uh, to give people the business. Now, Mr. Cook was also our wrestling coach, Dublin Middle School Dukes. He was a wrestling coach. And our school had just gotten brand new wrestling mats with the school colors, the emblems, the whole nine yards. I mean, it was, it was an immaculate mat, right, for middle school. Well, this particular day in gym class, we were learning the basics of how to wrestle. And while me and my friend, Bob Jackson, were sitting off to the side of the mat, waiting our turn to wrestle, uh, we noticed that this brand new mat had just a little bit of a tear on it. Just a little bit of a tear. So Bob and I was like, oh, okay, cool, right? So we started to dig at it and tear it even more. So this little tear became a big tear. And then Mr. Cook saw what we were doing, and guess what Mr. Cook did? 
he gave us the business, right? Mr. Cook, with his tube socks and all, facial expression, everything, uh, came over and he gave us the business. I remember he literally put the fear of God in us. And I remember he took us into his office, and this is what I remember just so, so vividly. It's just, he, he made us stand in front of his desk, and while he sat down and he peered over his glasses at us, and he was asking us, why did you guys tear this mat? Of course, we're sixth graders, and we're like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just, it, we just did, you know? And then he reached into his side desk drawer, and he pulled out the wooden paddle. How many of you guys can remember the wooden paddle growing up, right? Yeah, the wooden paddle. Yeah, some of you younger ones are like, wooden paddle, what? I don't know if this makes sense. The wooden paddle. Now listen, the wooden paddle. This is the wooden paddle that had made many a sixth grader cry like a baby. Okay? I'm serious. And we were about to face, listen, we were about to face the wrath of Mr. Cook. I remember, man, when he pulled the paddle out, I started, I literally started crying. And I remember my friend Bob putting his, we're in sixth grade, my friend Bob put his hand on my shoulder and he's consoling. He's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. We're, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. And um, I, mean, I was a relatively good kid in school. All right? I, was, I never had gotten a paddle or anything like that. And so we were both scared to death. It was a horrible and terrifying experience. And we're standing in front of Mr. Cook, his office, awaiting our intimate doom. And then Mr. Cook throws us a curveball. Mr. Cook throws us a curveball, and he said, you know what, guys? Don't let it happen again. And he let us go with a warning. You know, so it's one of those moments where, you're like, you, you're, you're so, you're just, the elation, and you're still, you're still kind of crying. Like, <gasps> you know, you're walking out of this office, and you're like, yes. You know. Listen, ultimately, listen to me. Ultimately, this is what Noah and the flood is about. Yes, it's about God's divine judgment. But it's also about God's grace. Yes, the story is about God's wrath, and we're going to talk about that. But it's also a story about God's love and tender mercy for his, for his children. And so today, I simply want to point out three things from our text. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. For the others of you who like three-point sermons, this, this is for you. All right? And so three-point sermons, the first thing we're going to learn is this, the wickedness of man. The wickedness of man. The second thing that we're going to look at is the suffering of God. The suffering of God. And then the third and final thing we're going to look at is the solution to both. What's the solution to both? The wickedness of man, the suffering of God, and the solution to both. Now, back in Genesis chapter 1, just a few chapters before, we read the creation account, and we see this repeated phrase from God. We see it. It says, and God saw what he had made, and it was good. And the creation account concludes with it was very good. And then a little over 1,600 years have passed between the creation account and to the days of Noah, and you see this stark contrast in Genesis 6 Well, we read some pretty strong language from God. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now listen, that's strong language. How many of you guys have ever gotten into a disagreement with your spouse, which I know that never happens, right? And you've used strong language, or you're a teenager or whatever, and you've used strong language like this. Have you ever said, in the heat of a moment, you never, or you always, Right? We use that language, don't we? And it's an exaggeration, right? Because we know that they, they don't always, and they don't know. You know what I'm saying? We know they don't. That's just an exaggeration, right? But listen, God uses that language. This is what God, he's saying. He's saying, he's saying the wickedness on the earth, man, it, it wasn't just sometimes. It wasn't just temporary, but it was continually. 
Like there was no remorse, there was no repentance, there was no hesitation. It was just always continually. And as a result, man, God is going to judge his people. He tells Noah, I'm going to blot out man whom I have created. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, man. This is a hard passage to swallow uh, for non-Christians, but even for Christians, it's a hard passage to swallow. Right? This is why we struggle sometimes with Old Testament stories, right? Because we ask, you know, how can God do this? How can God just wipe out people? And how dare a loving God be so angry? See, I think the problem that we struggle with is, is, is we confuse God's anger, God's wrath, with the wrath and anger of man. See, see, human anger is typically self-driven and it's prone to explosions of temper and violent deeds. And we get angry, right? And, and sometimes, not all the time, we'll throw things or we'll kick things, you know. And we lose control, don't we? We blow up and we get angry at someone because we've been wronged. See, God doesn't get angry because he doesn't get his way. His anger is at disobedience that results in self-destruction. See, see, listen, God created us. God created us. He knows what's best for us. He is infinitely wise and infinitely good, and, and God has set the standard for us. God knows what is best for us. He knows the way that we should live by. This is why we have the book. This is why we have the Bible. He, he knows what's best. He created us. He knows what's best. And because God is infinitely holy and because he is perfect, he is without sin, and he cannot even look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13 says, His eyes are too good to look at evil. He cannot stand to see those who do wrong. And God knows that sin and disobedience will ultimately destroy his creation, so he hates sin. Listen to me. What parent would sit by and watch their child harm themselves, right? Think about this. What, what parent? Like, if, if my kids are in the yard playing and Shepherd takes off towards the road, am I just going to sit there and be like, well... You know, I hope he doesn't get hit by a car, right? No, what am I going to do? I'm going to, like, yell and, and run and chase after him, right? In the same way, if you see a teenager that's going down the wrong path and, and, and doing things that, that aren't good for him, what, you don't just stand by and, like, oh, well, you know, he'll learn his lesson. No, no, you, you, you beg and plead, and you, you, this, is, this, is, this is what it means. I mean, Satan, the, the New Testament says that Satan comes to kill and to steal and to destroy and this is what's happening in the days of Noah, right? They are so wicked and violent that they are destroying each other. And so the question isn't how dare a loving God be angry, but rather the question is how could a loving God who is infinitely holy and perfect and righteous do anything less? You see, you see, because God is infinitely holy and perfect, his own response to sin is divine judgment. Do you see that? I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But listen, if, 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 you, if that doesn't set well with you, if, if you don't think that, man, it just doesn't seem right, the idea of God judging and smiting people and blotting people out, believe it or not, listen, God has a hard time with it too. And in verse 6 makes this, it says, in verse 6 we see the suffering of God. Right? We saw the wickedness of man, this is the suffering of God. It says, and the Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it says it grieved him to his heart. That, that's, a, that's a powerful word right there. Now, now, the idea here is not that, that God made a mistake. Right? He's not up there scratching his head in heaven and wondering, man, what in the world just happened? What went wrong, right? But the word grieved here is a specific word and expresses the most intense form of human emotion. It's a mixture of rage and bitter anguish. And so, so hear me on this, okay? When God created us, he, he loved us so much. He loves us so much that God voluntarily bound his heart up 
with you and me. He bound his life up with ours. When God created us, he bound his heart up with ours. Listen to me, he chose to have a relationship with us. Listen, God wasn't lacking anything, okay? God, God did not need relationship from us, okay? But, but, but he, he was committed to us. When he created us, he was committed to us. And, and what this means, man, listen, God is not a distant God. God is not a God who creates and then steps away from it. It's like, okay, let's just see how this all plays out. But God is engaged, okay? God, God is, is a relational God. And so when he created us, he bound himself up, voluntarily bound himself up. And he is so engaged with us that when something goes wrong in our lives, listen, God experiences suffering and pain. You know why? Because he deeply cares for you. Do you believe that? He deeply cares for you. We are like his children. And when we do something that is destructive, it causes him pain. He suffers. Listen to the words of, of God in Isaiah 49, 15. And this is, this is crazy. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Well, what, what he's saying is I have the utmost tender, affectionate heart for my people. Listen, God cares for you. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, when Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against God, uh, what we were essentially telling God is, you know what, we don't care. We don't care. You, you voluntarily bound your heart up with us. You love us, but we don't care. We, we don't care that you care. We, we turned our back on God. And that grieves the heart of God. When we do our own thing, when we resist coming to him, when we turn our back on God, it hurts God because he loves you. Because he loves you. And so the question is, is why didn't God just kind of scrap the plan? Right? Well, well, Genesis 3, 7, why is there even a Genesis 3, 8, right? Why, why, didn't, why didn't God just kind of ball up the, the, the earth and just kind of throw it in a trash can and say, okay, we'll, we'll try this again another time, right? right? But the answer is because he loves you, right? Because God decided to make himself vulnerable. How awesome is that? So, so in verse 6, we see God suffering for the sins of the world, which ultimately is going to point forward to Jesus who suffers for the sins of the world. Right, but, but, but what we see here is we've got the wickedness of man. We've got the suffering of God. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, what does God do about this? Because you've got an infinitely holy God who hates sin, but you've also got an infinitely loving God who loves the sinner. You see the, you see the conundrum here, right? So how do you reconcile the two? Well, see, God's got a plan, and we see a glimmer of, of, of God's grace in verse 8. Because you see a, a great little word there at the beginning of verse 8 that says, but. Right? God, God's going to destroy the earth. He's going to blot everybody out. But Noah found favor with God. It says, Noah was a righteous and blameless, which that does not mean that Noah was without sin. Okay? So understand that. It just means that he recognized who God was, and the Bible says he walked with God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says that by faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. See, Noah is going to be an instrument of God's salvation. God tells Noah to build an ark, and then God puts Noah and his family in the ark. And in comes the rain, basically the judgment of God's wrath. Forty days. God's destroying the wickedness on the earth while at the same time he is redeeming the earth and giving the world a second chance. 
Now, let me ask you a question, all right? And this is, this is for you guys to participate with me, okay? So this is like a class, all right? So I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I want you guys to answer me, okay? What went into the ark with Noah? Speak up, I can't hear you. Animals went in the ark with Noah. What else went in the ark with Noah? His family, right? What else went in the ark with Noah? Animals two by two. Food. God. What did you say? <laughs> Maybe. Nah, I'm sure God loves Chipotle. I don't know. All right. Keep one, one more. I'll give, you, I'll give you two more guesses. What, what, went, what else went? In, you guys are all right. I mean, these are all good answers, but, but I'm looking for one specific answer. Noah definitely went in the ark. Absolutely. What else? One more thing. Faith. Okay. Yeah, very good. Very good. Hope. Yep. Very good. Very good. Hold on. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Class ended. Noah's sin went into the ark with Noah. Noah's sin went in the ark with Noah. Because listen, what do we read in chapter 9, right? God had just spared Noah and his family. Right? God had just brought them through the judgment of his wrath. And then in chapter 9, what do we see? We see Noah gets off the boat, and shortly after, he gets drunk, and he essentially messes his family up royally, right? Right? And so, so here's, here's what we see. It doesn't take long for sin to spread throughout the world again. Right? And so in the flood, God preserved humans and animals, but it did not change the nature of humans, right? We, we still have a sin problem. But God had a bigger plan. A plan where his one and only son would pay the ultimate price for our salvation. A plan that would deal with the sins of the human race once and for all. A plan to redeem us and and restore our relationship with God. Listen, the cross shows us the price that God paid to redeem us from our sins. The New Testament says that we were bought with a price. And that price is his one and only son. In Genesis chapter 6, we see God beginning to suffer for the sins of the world. But on the cross, we see Jesus literally suffering for the sins of the world. Listen, the, the cross is, is so beautiful. Jesus, listen to me. On the cross, you see the infinite, holy, perfect, righteous God and his wrath and his love being satisfied on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus, on the cross, received the full wrath of God. And he did that because he loves us. You see that? How, how beautiful is that? Like on the cross, everything the human race deserves, full for all human ju- injustice, for all human uh, violence and wickedness, it all comes down on Jesus on the cross. And the gospel is the remedy. The gospel is the good news, the solution. It was the plan from the beginning. The gospel is the good news because, listen, it tells us the hard truth about who we are, that we are all sinners, that we have fallen short of God's standard and his holiness. And when Jesus went to the cross, what he was saying is this. He was saying that you are so lost, that you are so messed up, that you are so condemned, that you are so far from God that nothing less than the death of my son on the cross could save us. That's the hard truth, man. That's hard. 
That's why people have a hard time. I mean, they just they don't want to accept that. It's hard. But it's also the greatest message of love. Right? Because when he went to the cross, he was also saying that I love you so much that you are of such value and worth that I am willing to send my son to die on the cross for your sin. So what does this mean? Well, I've got a few applications, and they're not very long, so let me give them to you, okay? First, it means this. If you are here, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, and I want to encourage you to do that today. Listen, Jesus is coming back for his church, and there is going to be a judgment day for anyone who is outside of Christ. Do you understand that? Like Jesus says, I am coming back. In Matthew 24, 37 through 39, this is what Jesus says in reference to the Noah's story in the, in the Old Testament. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? It's like when my sixth grade teacher, right, Mr. Cook, laid that paddle on the desk. I, I thought judgment was coming. But I was shown grace. Listen, judgment is coming. Judgment's coming. And the offer for grace is on the table. We just have to surrender our pride, our egos, and, and, and accept it. Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1 is a beautiful passage. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, Jesus is our ark. Get in. <laughs> right? Let, let the waves and the wind beat up against Jesus. And if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Man, how beautiful is that? That's the first application, okay? Se- secondly, the flood narrative tells us that this world is important to God. Either the flood is about God's commitment to us, and if anything goes wrong with us, it fills his heart with pain, right? Injustice, wickedness, violence, oppression, it fills his heart with pain. And the Bible teaches us that God gets involved. Listen, we just came out of uh, the season of Christmas, and that's what uh, the season of Christmas is all about, the incarnation, Jesus coming to us. He gets involved, right? He's committed. And because of the gospel, we have been redeemed for a purpose, and that is to get involved, to, to be committed and take the gospel good news out there, right? Part of our purpose here is not only to make much of Jesus, but then to do what? To reach people with the gospel. To reach people with the gospel. We need to get involved with injustice. We, we need to, to heal the brokenhearted and help the oppressed, and to heal people physically, socially, and emotionally. And the only way we can do that is if we get involved. And that's why here at Chester Christian, we're committed to that, man. We, we want to be in our community. Listen, we are, we are nowhere near where we want to be as far as involvement in our community. We, and we, want, we know, man, the power of the gospel is, is huge. And if you believe that this morning, man, we need to get involved. There needs to be a sense of urgency in this. This is why we do the things that we do. This is why we, we try to partner with, with, with people like Hope Tree. This is why we partner with people like the Pregnancy Health Center. This is why we partner with people like CRC. and This is why we try to get involved in our community, man, because the gospel is the good news. The gospel is what's going to bring hope and salvation, right? 
And so we need to get involved. Listen, as Christians, man, we ought to be people who are deeply involved with the sorrows of people. We ought to be. I mean, don't shrink from it. Listen, Jesus didn't shrink from it. Jesus didn't shrink from it. The gospel is the remedy, so let's get involved. Finally, and this is, this is important. I mean, all three of them are important, but this is, this is huge. This is why I want to end with this. When the floods and troubles come into your life, and they will, I know many of you are going through troubles right now. Even if you're a Christian, you need to get into the ark of the gospel. Listen, if you don't remember what Jesus has done for you, if you don't live as if judgment is in the past, when problems come into your life, guess what's going to happen? They're going to crush you. They're going to crush you. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel shame. You're going to live in despair. How often do I tell you guys that you've got to preach this message to yourself daily? How many times have I told you, man, put it on the mirror in your bathroom so that when you wake up, you know that you're a child of God and that he loves you and that nothing is going to change that. So that you don't have to live in fear of trying to please other people. You don't have to worry about what other people think. Your identity and self-worth is not in what you do. It's not whether or not I perform or not. Because Jesus loves you. And he died for you. Live in the gospel. Be filled with the gospel. Eat, drink, sleep the gospel. All right? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. And Father, we're going to go into a time of prayer now. And uh, Father, I pray that during this time of prayer, we would just focus our thoughts and our heart around you and what you've done for us. And when we come out of that time of prayer, God, we're going to have a time of response. And I just pray, Father, that your spirit would just continue to move. And God, that we would not uh, worry about what other people are thinking or doing or God, if we need prayer, if we need something, God, we would, we would just come down and, and receive that. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.